Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone Chapter 7 The Sorting Hat The door swung open at once. A tall, black-haired witch with emerald, with emerald green robes stood there. She had a very stern face, and Harry's first thought was that this was not someone to talk. The first yours, Professor McGonagall, said Hagrid. Thank you, Hagrid. I'll take them from here. She pulled open the door wide. The entrance hall was so big, you could have fit the whole of Dursley's castle. The stone walls were lit with flaming torches, like the one at Gringotts. The ceiling was too high to make out, and a magnificent marble staircase was facing them, led up to the upper floors. They followed Professor McGonagall across the flagged stone floor. Harry could hear the drone of hundreds of voices from a doorway to the right. The rest of the school must already be here. But Professor McGonagall showed the first jurors into a small, empty chamber of the hall. They crowded in, standing rather closer together than they usually would have done, peering about nervously. Welcome to Hogwarts, said Professor McGonagall. The start of the term banquet will begin shortly, but before you take your seats in the Great Hall, you will be sorted into your hostess. The sorting is very important ceremony because while you are here, your houses will be something like your family within Hogwarts. You will have classes with the rest of your house, sleep in your house dormitory, and spend free time with your house common room. The four houses are called Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin. Each house has its own noble history, and each has produced outstanding witches and wizards. While you are here at Hogwarts, your tramps will here will earn you house points, while any rule breaking will lose house points. At the end of the year, the house with the most points is awarded the house cup. A great honor. I hope each of you will be a credit to whichever house becomes yours. The sorting ceremony will take place in a few minutes in front of the rest of the school. I suggest you all smarten yourselves up as much as you can while you're waiting. Her eyes lingered for a moment on Neville's cloak, which was fastened under his left ear, and on Ron's smudged nose. Harry nervously tried to flatten his hair. I shall return when we are ready for you, said Professor McGonagall. Please wait quietly. She left the chamber. Harry swallowed. How exactly did they sort us into houses? She asked Ron. Some sort of test, I think. Fred said it hurt a lot, but I think he was joking. Harry's heart gave a horrible jolt. A test? In front of the whole school? But he didn't know any magic yet. What on earth would he have to do? He hadn't expected something like this the moment they arrived. She looked around anxiously and saw everyone else was terrified too. No one was talking much except Hermione Gramble, Granger, who was whispering very fast about all the spells she'd learned and wondering which ones she'd need. Harry tried hard not to listen to her. He had never been more nervous, never, not even when he had 
had to take a school report home to the Dursleys, saying that he'd somehow turned his teacher's wig blue. He kept his eyes fixed on the door. Any second now, Professor McGonagall would come back and lead him to his doom. And something happened that made him jump about a foot in the air. Several people behind him screamed. What the? He gasped. So did the people around him. About twenty ghosts had just streamed through the black wall. Pearly white and slightly transparent, they glided across the room, talking to one another, hardly glancing at the closure. They seemed to be arguing. What looked like a fat little monk was saying, Forgive and forget, I say. We ought to give him a second chance. My dear friar, haven't we given Peeves all the chances he deserves? He gives us all a bad name, and you know, he's not really even a ghost. I say, what are you doing here? A ghost was wearing rough and tight, had suddenly noticed the first year. Nobody answered. New students, said Fat Friar, smiling around them. About to be sorted, I suppose? A few people nodded meekly. I hope to see you in Hufflepuff, said the friar. My old house, you know. Move along now, said a sharp voice. Sorting ceremonies is about to start. Professor McGonagall had returned. One by one, the the ghosts floated away through the opposite wall. Now, form a line, Professor McGonagall told the first year, and follow me. Feeling oddly as though his legs had turned to lead, Harry got into his line, behind a boy with sandy hair, and with Ron behind him. They walked out of the chamber back across the hall and through a pair of double doors into the great hall. Harry had never even imagined such a strange and splendid place. It was lit by thousands and thousands of candles. They were floating in midair over four long tables where the rest of the house, where the rest of the students were sitting. These tables were laid with glittering golden plates and goblets. At the top of the hall was another long table where the teachers were sitting. Professor McGonagall led the first first years up here so that they came to a halt in a line, facing the other students, with the teachers behind them. Hundreds of ta- hundreds of faces were staring at them, looking like pale lanterns in the flickering candlelight. Dotted here and there among the students, a ghost turned misty silver. Mainly to avoid all the staring eyes, Harry looked upward and saw a velvety black ceiling dotted with stars. He heard Hermione whisper, It's bewitched to look like the sky outside. I read about it in Hogwarts history. It was hard to believe there was a ceiling there at all. And the great hall didn't simply open into the heavens. Harry quickly looked down at them. As Professor McGonagall silently placed a four-legged stool in front of the first years. On top of the stool, he he put a pointed wizard hat. This hat was patched and frayed and extremely dirty. Aunt Petunia wouldn't have let it in the house. Maybe they had to try and get a rabbit out of it, Harry thought wildly. That seemed to be the sort of thing. 
noticed that everyone in the hall was now staring at their hat. They stared at it too. For a few seconds, there was complete silence. Then the hat clicked. A rip near the brim opened wide like a mouth, and the hat began to sing. Oh, you may not think I'm pretty, but don't judge on what you see. I'll eat myself if you can find a smarter hat than me. You can keep your bowels back, your hop, your top hat sleek and tall. For I'm the Hogwarts sorting hat, and I can cap them all. There's nothing hidden in your head the sorting hat can see. So try me on, and I will tell you where you ought to be. You might belong in Gryffindor, where there dwell, where dwell the brave at heart. Their daring nerve and cry will leave at Gryffindor depart. You may belong in Hufflepuff, where they're just and loyal. Those patient Hufflepuffs are true and afraid of toil. Or yet in wise and old Ravenclaw, if you were ready mine, where those of wit and learning will all their will always find their kind. Or perhaps in Slytherin will make your real friends. Those cunning folk use any means to achieve their ends. So put me on, don't be afraid, don't get in a flap. You're in safe hands, though I have none, for I'm a thinking cap. The whole howl burst into an applause. As the hat finished its song, it bowed to each of the four tables, then became quite still again. So, you've just got to try on the hat, Ron whispered to Harry. I'll kill Fred. He was going on about wrestling a troll. Harry smiled weakly. Yes, trying on the hat was a lot better than having to do a spell. But he did wish they could have tried it on without everyone watching. The hat seemed to be rather asking rather a lot, and Harry didn't feel either brave or fitted or any of it at the moment. If only the house had if only the hat had mentioned a house for people, he felt a bit queasy. That would have been the one for him. Professor McGonagall now stepped forward, holding a roll of long parchment. When I call your name, you will put your hat you'll put on the hat and sit on the stool to be sorted, she said. Abbot Hannah, a pink faced girl with blonde pigtails, stumbled out of the line and put on the hat, which fell right down over her eyes and sat down. A moment's pause. Huffle puff shouted the hat. The table on the right cheered and clapped as Hannah went down to sit with the Hufflepuff table. Harry saw the ghost of Strauss Friar waving merrily at her. Bone Susan! Hufflepuff! shouted the hat again. And Susan scuttled off to sit next to Hannah. Boots Harry! Ravenclaw! The, second, the table second from the left clapped this time. Several Ravenclaws stood to shake their hands with Harry as he joined them. Brocklehurst Mandy went to Ravenclaw too, but Brown Lavender became the first Gryffindor. And on the table and onto the far left exploded with cheers. Harry could see Ron Harry could see Ron's twin brother catcalling. Both hurled Millicent, then became Slytherin. Perhaps it was Harry's imagination after all he'd heard about Slytherin, but he thought they looked like an unpleasant
You're starting to feel definitely sick now. He remembered being picked for team, showing him at his old school. He had always been the last to be chosen, not because he was no good, but because no one wanted to see, not no one wanted for Dudley to think that they liked him. Lynch, Leslie, Justin, Hufflepuff. Sometimes Harry noticed the hat shouted out in the house at once. For others, it took a little time to decide. Then again, Seamus, the sandy-haired boy next to Harry in line, sat on the stool for almost a whole minute before the hat declared him a Gryffindor. Granger Hermione. Hermione almost ran to the stool and jammed the hat eagerly on her head. Gryffindor, shouted the hat. Ron groaned. A horrible thought struck Harry, as most horrible thoughts always do when you're nervous. What if he wasn't chosen at all? What if he just sat there with the hat over his eyes for ages until Professor McGonagall jerked it off his head and said that there had awful that there had obviously been a mistake, that he'd better get on back back on the train? With Neville Longbottom, the boy who kept losing his toes was called. He fell over on his way to the school stool. The hat took a long time to decide with Neville. Then finally it shouted, Gryffindor! Neville ran off, still wearing it, and had to jog back amid gales of laughter to give it back to McDowell Morgan. Malfoy swaggered forward when his name was called, and got his wish the moment the hat had barely touched his head when it screamed, Slytherin! Malfoy went to join his friend, Sabin Boyle, looking pleased with himself. There weren't many people left now. Moon, Knot, Parkinson, and then a pair of twin girls, Pottle and Pato, and then Perks, Sally Ane, and then, at last, Potter Harry. As Harry stepped forward, whispers suddenly broke out, like little hissing fires all over the hall. Potter, did he say? The Harry Potter. The last thing Harry saw before the hat dropped over his eyes was the hall full of people training to get a good look at him. Next second, he was looking at the back inside of the hat. He waited. Hmm, said a small voice within his ear. Different. Very different. Plenty of courage, I see. Not a bad mind either. Yes, talent. Oh my goodness, yes. And a nice thirst for uh, to prove yourself. Now that's where shall I put you? Harry gripped the edges of the stool and thought, not Slytherin. Not Slytherin. Not Slytherin, eh? Said the small voice. Are you sure? You could be great, you know? It's all there in your head. Slytherin will help you on your way to greatness. No doubt about that. Oh, well, no? Well, if you're sure, Better be Gryffindor! Harry heard the hat shout the last word to the whole hall. He took off the hat and walked straightly toward the Gryffindor table. He was so relieved to have been chosen not put in Slytherin, he hardly noticed that he was getting the loudest cheer yet. Percy the Perfect got up and shook his hand vigorously, while the Weasley twins called, Yell, We got Potter! We got Potter! Harry 
Harry sat down the opposite of the ghost in the rock he'd seen earlier. The ghost patted his arm, giving Harry the sudden horrible feeling he just plunged it into a bucket of ice-cold water. He could see the high table properly now. At the end of nearest to him sat Hagrid, who caught his eye and gave him the thumbs up. Harry grinned back, and there in the center of the high table, in the large gold chair, sat Albus Dumbledore. Harry recognized him at once from the car he'd gotten out of the chocolate frog on the train. Dumbledore's silver hair was the only thing the whole in the whole hall that turned as brightly as he was. Harry spotted Professor McGonagall and Professor Quirrell, too. The nervous young man from Leaky Cauldron. He was looking very peculiar in a large purple turban. And now there were only four people to be told. Thomas Dean, a black boy even taller than Ron, joined Harry at the Gryffindor table. Cursing Lisa became Ravenclaw, and then it was Ron's turn. He was pale green by now. Harry crossed his fingers on the, at the table. A second later, the hat shouted, Gryffindor! Harry clapped loudly with the rest as, the Ron, as Ron clapped into the chair next to him. Well done, Ron! Excellent! said Percy Weasley pompously across Harry. As the beanie blaze became Slytherin, Mr. Mc Professor McGonagall rolled up her scroll and took the sorting hat away. Harry looked at his open, golden, empty golden plate. He'd only just realized how hungry he was. The pumpkin pasties seemed ages ago. Albus Dumbledore had gotten to his feet. He was beaming at the students, arms open wide, as if that was nothing he could have as if nothing could have pleased him more than to see them all there. Welcome, he said. Welcome to a new year at Hogwarts. Before we begin our banquet, I would like to say a few words, and here they are. Nitwit blubber, oddment tweaks. Thank you. He sat back down. Everyone clapped and cheered. Harry didn't know whether to laugh or not. Is he a bit mad? He asked Percy. Uncertainly, mad, said Percy airily. He's a genius, best wizard in the world. But he is a bit mad, yes. Potatoes, Harry? Harry's mouth fell open. The dishes in front of him were now piled with food. He had never seen so many things he liked to eat on one table. Roast beef, roast chicken, pork chops, lamb chops, sausages, bacon, steak, boiled potatoes, roast potatoes, Fried Yorkshire pudding, peas, carrots, gravy, ketchup, and for some strange reason, peppermint humbug. The Dursleys had never exactly starved Harry, but he had never been allowed to eat as much as he liked. Dudley had always taken everything that Harry really wanted, even if it made him sick. Harry piled his plate with a bit of everything except the peppermint and began to eat. It was all delicious. That does look good, said the ghost in the rough, sadly, watching Harry cut up his cheeks. Can't you? I haven't eaten for nearly five hundred years, said the ghost. I don't need to, of course, but one does miss it. Wait, wait, 
I don't think I can trust you. Introduce myself. Sir Nicholas de Memphi Portington, at your service. Resident ghost of the Gryffindor Tower. I know who you are, said Ron suddenly. My brother told me that you're nearly headless Nick. I would prefer you call me Sir Nicholas de Memphi, the ghost began stiffly. But sandy-haired James Finnegan interrupted. Nearly headless? How can you be nearly headless? Sir Nicholas looked extremely miffed, as if the little chat was not going all the way he wanted. Like this, he said irritably, and he seized his left ear and pulled. His whole head broke off his neck and fell onto his shoulder, as if it was on a hinge. Looking pleased by the sudden look on their faces, nearly headless slick, Nick slipped back, slipped his head back onto his neck and coughed and said, So, new Gryffindors, I hope you are going to help us win the house championship this year. Gryffindors have never gone so long without winning. Slytherins got the cup six years in a row. Bloody Baron is becoming almost unbearable. He's the Slytherin ghost. Harry looked over at the Slytherin table and saw a horrible ghost sitting there with blind, staring eyes and gaunt face and robes stained with silver blood. He was right next to Malfoy, who, Harry was pleased to see, didn't look too pleased with the shooting arrangement. How did he get covered in blood? asked Phoenix with great interest. I never asked, said nearly headless Nick delicately. When everyone had eaten as much as they could, the remains of the food faded from the plates, leaving them sparkling clean as before. A moment later, the deserts appeared. Blocks of ice cream in every flavor you could think of. Apple pies, triple tarts, chocolate clair, jam donuts, trifle zest, strawberries, jello, rice puddings. How are you? As Harry helped himself to Triple Tart, the talk suddenly turned to their families. I'm half and half, said Phoenix. My dad's a muggle. My mum didn't tell me she was a witch until after her marriage. Bit of a nasty shock for him. The others laughed. What about you, Neville? said Ron. Well, my, brought me, well, my grand brought me up, and he's a witch, said Neville. But my family thought I was all muggle for ages. My great-uncle Algie kept trying to catch me off guard and force some magic out of me. He pushed me out of the end of a blackboard chair once. I nearly drowned, but nothing happened, until I was great eight. Great-uncle Algie came around for Dylan. He was hanging me out of an upstairs window by the ankle when great-auntie Enid offered him marrying you, and he suddenly accidentally let go, but I bounced all the way down to the garden and into the road. They were all really pleased. Gran was crying. She was so happy, and you should see their faces when I got in here. They thought I might not be magic enough to come, you see. Great Uncle Algie was so pleased, he bought me my toad. On Harry's other side, Dursley Weasley and Hermione were talking about lessons. I do hope they start right away. They're so used to learn, and such a great interest in transportation, you know. 
so it's something I can do to help the place. It's supposed to be very difficult. You'll be starting small, just mopping the needles and that sort of thing. Harry was starting to feel warm and sleepy, looked up at the high table again. Hagrid was drinking deeply from his goblet. Professor McGonagall was talking to Professor Dumbledore. Professor Quill in his upstairs turban was talking to Peter. He had greasy black hair and a hooked nose and sallow skin. It happened very suddenly. The hooked nose Peter looked past Quill's turban straight into Harry's eyes. And a sharp, a hot pain shot across the spot on Harry's forehead. Ouch! Harry clapped his head to his head. What is it? asked Percy. Nothing. The pain had gone as quickly as it had come. Harder to shake off was the feeling Harry had gotten from the teacher's look. The feeling that he didn't like Harry at all. Who's that teacher talking to Professor Quirrell? he asked Percy. Oh, you know Quirrell already, do you? No wonder he's looking so nervous. That's Professor Snape. He changes potions. But he doesn't want to, though. Everyone knows he's after Quirrell's job. Knows an awful lot about dark arts, Snape. Harry watched Snape for a while, but Snape didn't look at him again. At last, the desert school disappeared, and Professor Dumbledore got onto his feet again. The hall felt silent. Ahem! Just a few more words now that you're all fed and watered. I have a few short-term notices to give you. First, you should note that the forest on the grounds is forbidden to all pupils, and a few of our older students would do well to remember that as well. Dumbledore's twinkling eyes flashed in the direction of the Weasley twins. I've also been asked by Mr. Filch, the caretaker, to remind you all that no magic should be used between the classes in the corridor. Quidditch trials will be had in the second week of the term. Anyone interested in playing for the house teams should contact Madame Hooch. And finally, I must tell you that this year, the Swords Grow Corridor of the Right Hand Side out of bounds for everyone who does not wish to die a very painful death. Harry laughed, but he was one of the few who did. He's not serious, he muttered to Percy. Must be, said Percy, frowning at Dumbledore. It's odd, because he usually gives us a reason why we're not allowed to go somewhere. The forest is full of dangerous beasts. Everyone knows that. I do think he might have told us if that's the least. And now, before we go to bed, let us sing the Hogwarts song, cried Dumbledore. Harry noticed that the other teacher's smile had become rather fixed. Dumbledore gave his wand a little flick, as if he was trying to get a fly off the end. And a golden ribbon flew out of it, which rose high above the table and twisted itself, snake-like, into words. Everyone pick their favorite tune, said Dumbledore, and off we go, and with full bellow. Hogwarts, Hogwarts, Hoggy Watch is Hogwarts. Keep the something, please. Rather we be old and bald or young with scabby knees. All heads could do some with feeling, with some interesting stuff. For now they're bare and full of air, the flies and bits of fluff. So teach us things worth knowing, bring back what we've forgot. Just do your best and you'll do the rest and learn till our bees rot. Everyone finished the wrong, finished the song at different times. At last, only the Weasley twins were left singing along to a very slow, slow funeral march.
the mother connected their last two lines with his wand, and when they had finished, he was one of those who clapped the loudest. Ah, music, he said sadly. A magic beyond all we do here. Now, bedtime. After trot. The good the Gryffindor's first years followed Percy toward the through the chattering crowd, out of the great hall and up the marble staircase. Harry's legs were like lead again, but only because he was so tired and full of food, he was too sleepy even to be surprised that the people in the portraits along the corridors whispered and pointed as they passed, or that twice Percy led them through doorways hidden behind sliding panels and hanging tapestries. They climbed more staircases, yawning and dragging their feet, and Harry was just wondering how much farther they had to go when suddenly they came to a sudden halt. A bundle of walking sticks was floating in midair ahead of them, and as Percy took, took a step toward them, they started pulling themselves at him. Eef, Percy whispered to the first years. He's halted. He raised his legs. Eef, show yourself. A loud rude sound, like the air being let out of a balloon, answered. Do you want me to go to the Bloody Baron? There was a little pause, and a little man with wicked dark eyes and a wide mouth appeared, floating cross-legged across the air, clutching walking sticks. Ooh, he said, with an evil cackle. Tickle Percy! What fun! He stooped suddenly at all of them. They ducked. Go away with me, or all the or the bully baron will hear about this. And I mean it, barked Percy. He stuck out a tongue and vanished, dropping the walking sticks on Neville's head. They heard him zooming away, rattling coats of armor as he passed. You want to watch out for thieves, said Percy, as he set off again. The bloody baron's the only one who can control him. He won't even listen to us protect. Here we are. At the very end of the corridor hung a portrait of a very fat woman in a pink silk dress. Password, he said. Caput Draconis, said Percy, and the portrait swung forward to reveal a round hole in the hall. They scrambled through it. Neville needed a leg up, and they found it him themselves in the Gryffindor common room. A cozy round room full of squashy armchairs. Percy directed the girls through one door into their dormitory and the boys through another. At the top of the spiral staircase, they were obviously in one of the towers. They found their beds at last. Five four-posters hung with deep red velvet curtains. Their trunks were already been brought up. Too tired to talk much, they pulled on their pajamas and fell into bed. Great food, isn't it? One muttered to Harry through the hangings. Get off, Dabber. You kill my feet. Harry was going to ask Ron if he had any of the trickle shots, but he fell asleep almost at once. Perhaps Harry had been Harry had eaten a bit too much because he had a very strange dream. He was wearing Professor Quirrell's turban, which kept talking to him, telling him he must transport the children at once because it was his destiny. Harry told his mother. But he told the turban he didn't want to be in trouble and it got heavier and heavier. He tried to pull it off, but it tightened painfully. And there it was, Malfoy, laughing at him. 
as he struggled with it, and Malfar turned into the hook-nosed creature. Snake, who was laughed at him high and cold, there was a burst of green light and fiery rope, letting him take him. He rolled over and fell asleep again. When he woke the next day, he didn't remember the dream at all.